The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It is good and a privilege to stand in the pulpit today. I mentioned at the 10 o'clock hour that uh, it's been about preach one sermon the last five weeks or so, and so I'm uh, anxious to preach God's Word, and we want to do that today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to speak to uh, a visitor who comes to our church quite often, and we had a few minutes in my office to discuss some things concerning end-time events, had some questions about it, and of course we are preaching through First Thessalonians. And uh, this this meeting ended with an offhanded comment, but a very sincere one. When he said, after the conversation, he said, "This is a teaching church." Now, those are the kinds of comments that make my day because I don't care for Berean Baptist to be known as the music church. I don't care for us to be known as the activities church. Because first and foremost, I want us to be known as a teaching church because the primary purpose of the Lord's church is to teach God's people His Word. God wants you to learn His Word because in the Word you reach greater understanding of Him. He tells you how to glorify Him and how He will be glorified in you. And the Word leads you into the unfathomable riches of God's grace. And Ephesians chapter 4 Paul wrote that God placed teachers in the church for the edification of the saints, that is, by to build up the church. And never does he tell us that we do this by organizing activities for kids and seniors. It's not to involve us in in politics and secular campaigns and social problems and physical illnesses. I mean, it's not wrong for us to talk about those things, but those aren't to replace what the church is called to do. Paul said that God put apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in the church. He didn't say that God put the musicians in and he put the bands in and he put the social planners in. Those things are good, some of them, but not, not, it's not the primary thing that the church is called to do. And so for this reason, a church that is not a teaching church is a wrong church because it doesn't follow the New Testament mandate of Christ and the apostles. Now, for these past few weeks, we've discussed the end of chapter 5, where Paul develops a plan for public worship. And I realize as we've we've read these verses that it involves some things that we will do as individual Christians, if not all of them. But Paul's purpose here is to write to the assembly of God's people. And so he addresses them as a group. The church is not the church until it is assembled. And so we can imagine the pastor of this Thessalonian church receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul and standing before the church to read these instructions. Now the opening verse of the letter in 1 Thessalonians states that that Paul was writing to the church. And in the end of this letter, in verse number 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle, this letter, be read to the holy brethren. And that's, that's kind of an interesting comment because that word charge means to swear a solemn oath. 
So Paul is telling, I think, the pastor of the church, and he would tell me and others that there is a sacred oath that we have to give the Word of God to God's people. Now, as a group of believers constituting one of the Lord's churches, Paul gave them here a prescription for worship. Now, if you look in verse number 16, he says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, since we've spent three weeks on worship, I'll just briefly mention uh, our discussion of the first two parts of public worship. That's praise and prayer. Now, if you'll look at your uh, schedule in the bulletin, you'll see how we incorporate these instructions into the worship program of, of our church as we sing praises, as we've just done, and in several junctures in the services we pray. Now, many churches in public worship um, concentrate mostly on the praise portion. That would be the music of the church. Little attention is given to prayer and to preaching. And, and we might say they're good to some extent on the praises, but we wouldn't think that they're really all that good because they have their the rock band wannabes and they, they appeal to people in that way. But without the other parts of worship, our praise is not acceptable to God. Both praise and prayer, the singing and the prayers are integral to worship. But the highest priority of the church is what we're doing right now. That's when we open the word of God and we preach God's word. This is the time that we listen to God speak to us through the objective, inspired, infallible, unchanging words of the scripture. And so my opening remarks are to emphasize once again that in the church we must prioritize preaching. And that is the third part of the trilogy of worship, the worship of preaching. Preaching is our priority. Preaching is the proclamation of God's word. Romans chapter 10 asks the question, how will those that are lost, how will they believe unless there is a preacher to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so the teaching and the preaching aspects of the church are to overshadow everything that we do because in the preaching of God's word, that's what we use to perfect all the other parts of worship. Preaching is to proclaim what God says and what God expects. It's to increase our faith and thereby to complete our sanctification. Preaching is to conform us to the image of Christ. And you'll see that in verse number 23 as he concludes this section on public worship by praying that God would sanctify these people through and through and preserve them unto holiness until the Lord returns. Now, I'll say this prayerfully and reverently, that the most important person in the church is the one who brings you the Word of God. Not important because of his personality. He's not important because of his charisma and what people think of him, but he's important because of the one that he represents. He preaches the word of God. And so it's the solemn responsibility of the preacher to be accurate with God's word. He is the Lord's spokesman who stands in the pulpit. And like an Old Testament prophet, he proclaims, Thus saith the Lord. But unlike an Old Testament prophet, I don't speak any new revelation. I'm not going to tell you anything other than what God wrote in his holy word. 
And you have a copy of it before you, and I promise you, you can look into it, and I'm not going to go beyond, in my teaching, anything that it says in the Word of God and things that you can see yourself. Now, I, I can help you to understand God's Word, but I don't invent anything that's there. A prophet in the Old Testament would sometimes be challenged. The Word of God says you've got to listen to the prophet and weigh what he says by the Word of God. You've got to determine, are the things that he say true? And if his prophecies come true, then of course they are true. If not, they're not true. But when I preach, I'm not really concerned about the challenges because I preach only what you find recorded in the Scriptures. And as you'll see in just a few minutes, that means it's incumbent upon you to be a Berean, to evaluate very carefully everything you hear. So you must search the scriptures just as the people in Berea did, and Paul accepted that challenge to have his message examined by the Word of God. Now to him, that was to be examined by the writings of the Old Testament prophets. And Paul wasn't afraid of that challenge because he knew exactly what they would find. And so this name of our church, Berean Baptist Church, that's not coincidental. It isn't because the Bible says that these Bereans searched the Word of God to see if the things that Paul said were true. And not only that, um, we are a Berean church because we are students of God's Word. And this is what we want to do. We want to very carefully search the scriptures and find the doctrines of God's word. Brother Wong, uh, our missionary who just returned from China and the one, were, one of the ones that were helping with the Thanksgiving offering, uh, made a comment to me this past summer when he was here. And he said in all the deputation work that he did in raising funds in order to be a missionary to China, there were only three churches that asked him to fill out a doctrinal questionnaire. And he said all three of those churches were named Berean. We, we, are, we are very concerned about doctrine. And so we discuss the word and we receive preaching from the word when it's carefully examined. So I'm not concerned as an Old Testament prophet would be whether the prophecies will come true because I'm not going to tell you anything other than what God said in his holy word. But then I must also comment that what's spoken from the pulpit must be substantial. The word of God is profound. I, I don't do you any justice or the name of our Savior any justice by substituting what I would like to say and subjects and personal opinions that I might think are equally valuable for you to know. You're not going to grow if I haven't studied enough to give you something that helps you to learn. So we don't want to be a, a church that's filled with people that have the Hebrews problem. I don't know if you know what I'm, I'm speaking of, but the Hebrews had a problem, and the author of Hebrews complained about this, and this is what he said about those that don't grow in the faith. He said, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How to discern both good and evil is a key to worshiping God in holiness. I mean, how are you going to worship God 
properly if you don't know the difference between good and evil. If you don't know what are these things that are good for me, what are the things that are bad for me? And preaching is for that purpose of getting there, and you won't get there by listening to me tell you stories, by reading clippings from the newspaper, or bringing you a message about Christian psychology. You need sermons that have doctrinal content. The Bible is a book of doctrines. The Christian faith is explained and examined in the form of doctrines. And my job is not done until I can articulate the doctrines of the faith so that you can understand them. Now, we are a teaching church because that is the only way that you will grow in the knowledge of Christ. Paul said he wanted to know nothing but Christ and the power of his resurrection. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I submit that a church that is unconcerned with doctrine is unconcerned about Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so you find in many churches that they have little of Christ. Oh, they have much to do with people. They preach the power of self or self-empowerment. They preach insistence upon human will. They preach easy believism. Or in fact, they preach essentially any believism. It doesn't matter really if you know Christ. Now, our text here says, despise not prophesyings. And I, and I explained that that uh, the primary New Testament meaning of prophesying is the proclamation of God's word through preaching. So don't think that, that a church uh, is about praise and singing, that church is all about youth group trips and youth camp, it's about social activities. You've not really worshipped until you've heard the word of God and until you've taken that word down into your soul and obeyed God's word as the principles by which you live. Now, if I could list for you some benefits of the word, I can show you why it's central in the church. John MacArthur, in his commentary, lists six benefits of the word. I thought it was good enough that I would repeat them for you. He said, first, that it is the supreme source of truth. Number two, he says, it's the source of all true happiness. Three, it is the source of victory over sin and evil. Four, it is the ultimate source of spiritual growth. Number five, it's the only perfectly reliable source of spiritual guidance. And then number six, it is the source of hope. All of those are good, and all of those were taught to the Thessalonian church. But I think that sixth one, it is the source of hope. That is the one that's most important in the context of this letter. This was a church that needed hope. The word of God was spoken to people that were persecuted, and it's in the Word of God that they could find hope. So Paul filled them with hope from the Word in this promise and, and his preaching about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I would say that's true of you, that, that every day, and we just talked about it a moment ago, every day our country is being plunged deeper and deeper into spiritual darkness. It used to be, if you quoted the Bible to people, they understood something of what you meant. Oh, they might not be saved, but they did recognize that the Bible was a book to respect. But now, if you're someone who quotes the Bible, you're held up for ridicule. Some of you live in despair with many difficulties. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's just the disgust of, of living in a minority who's trying to serve Christ and to live in holiness. And so you live in this sea of humanity today that is nothing but a foul sewer. And you need hope. 
And here's the thing, if you go to a church that's not a teaching church, if it's one that doesn't expound on the truth of God's Word, you're not going to find anything but a false hope. And you can't build your hope on the wrong things. We sing, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus Christ and His righteousness. So how, how will your hope be built if there is no one to preach the blessed hope of Jesus Christ? So weak preaching builds weak hope, hope that is not hope, and hope that is wrongly placed. Now what I'd like to do today is for us to discuss for just a few minutes the verses that surround verse number 20. Paul says, despise not prophesying. He's speaking of preaching. And most people don't consider that preaching is the subject of the verses that surround verse number 20. Some don't think they are, but they are. Now you'll notice verse number 19. It says, quench not the spirit. And there we find the deity in the word. This is where we find the deity in the preaching of God's word. Which person of the Godhead is the one that uses the word to affect the lives of Christians? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who illuminates the mind to the teaching of the Word. 1 Corinthians says that the Spirit enables us to know all things that are given to us by God. So I can't do anything for you in the preaching unless the Holy Spirit is here to guide you into the truth of the Word. The Holy Spirit must be here to illuminate your heart to the truth of the Word. Now here the Apostle says, quench not the Spirit. Quench is the same word as we would say extinguish, like putting out a fire. To quench the Spirit is to work against His ministry. Now, as we read in 1 Corinthians about gifts today, uh, to ignore the gifts of the Spirit that He's given for you to work in the church is to quench His Spirit. Have you thought about this? That your frequent absences from the church are unscriptural? Because as Paul says here, they... Quench the spirit. I like what Jeremiah said about the word. The prophet says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Now that's a time of despondency for Jeremiah. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Now some people say, the Holy Spirit was not in the Old Testament, he's not in believers in the Old Testament, then I would just have to ask the question, what is this burning? What is, the, what is it that would burn in him except it is God's Holy Spirit? It was God's Spirit in him that made him so that he couldn't go on without preaching. Now, Jeremiah was, was upset because he knew the people needed the word, but they turned from it, they had derided it, they even persecuted him because of it. And so they quenched the Spirit, and Jeremiah was okay with that because he thought they deserved it. But then that Word of God, the Spirit in him, was too much for him to hold it in. When the Spirit is in you and the Word is in you, you've got to get it out. And surely the church must understand that it's only the Word energized and the Word enlightened, the heart enlightened by the Holy Spirit, that there is power. And so when we resist the influences of the Word of God by quenching the Holy Spirit, then God is not going to be with us. God won't work with this, uh, with us. The, the Word of God says the Holy Spirit is in us and Christ's Word is in us and we rely upon that power to do His work. 
And so when we resist this power, when we put down the preaching, we resist the power of the Spirit. We resist the one who has power to transform our lives into the image of Christ. And if we extinguish the work of the Holy Spirit by minimizing the Word, then the church will reject Christ's promise of the Spirit's abiding presence. He dwells in us and He progressively sanctifies us by His Word. Now as a Christian... You can't drive the Spirit out, neither would you want to. But the church does often push the Word out. And when the church pushes the Word out and the preaching of God's Word, that's when God's Spirit is quenched. And this is the reason that churches that won't preach the Word won't talk to you about sin. They won't discuss sin. They accept worldliness in the church. They take it all in with compromise because there isn't any sanctifying power. So we never want to be a church where sinners of all kinds are not welcome to come and hear the Word of God, but neither do we want to be a church where all kinds of sinners are not called upon to repent of their sins and to forsake their sins and turn to Christ. So we preach Christ who transforms sinners. We preach the Holy Spirit who regenerates sinners. We preach the word that produces holy lives. And so I would say, yes, by all means, bring your sinful friends to church. Bring your sinful self to church. Bring your sinful family to church. And let the Holy Spirit, through his word, mortify that is put to death the sins of the flesh. And then let me add, we don't want to quench the Spirit because it is through the Spirit that God reveals his will. That was number five in the list. The word is the only perfect, reliable source of spiritual guidance. People that stay in the word rarely question God's will. They don't wonder, what is God's will? Because the Holy Spirit through the word has shown them. So I don't want this to be anything but a preaching church because we're not going to quench the spirit. We're not going to put out that fire that makes us more like Christ. So first then, there is the deity in the word. Then next, there is the discernment of the word. And verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. To prove all things is to test them. Prove what? Test what? Well, the word, the preaching, the prophesying of verse number 20. Evaluate the preaching. Now, in one sense, every believer has the ability to discern the word. You're taught by the Holy Spirit, you are illuminated by him if you are a child of God, so you have the ability to evaluate preaching to see if it's correct. But it's an ability that must be cultivated to be reliable. Hebrews says those that stay in the word have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. And so I hope you understand that if you quench the spirit, your discernment won't be very good. But the more you persevere in the word, and the more you love the word, the greater your discernment will be. So faithful Christians then have more ability to determine, is what the preacher says true or is it not? But the Word of God then has more instructions other than just because you are a Christian you can discern good and evil. It also tells us that we are to prove the preacher. Now I'd encourage you to go back and review the sermons on proofs of your preacher. That was Numbers 14, the 14th sermon to the 17th sermon in this series, and there's a more lengthy explanation of what you, as a child of God, should do in relation to your preacher. But just very briefly, let me tell you some things about testing the preacher. How do you do that? 
Well, there are methods of discernment that are used to determine whether you're hearing truth from the preacher. The first test we've already mentioned, you must be Bereans. You must examine the scriptures to see if the preaching is true to the word. So that's number one, examine the scriptures. Now that is a profound test. And yet it's as simple as this. Look it up. You have a Bible, so look it up. I remember Matt told me uh, when he came to the church and evaluating doctrine and so forth, he said, it's hard to deny the scriptures that are put on the screen. How many times I've looked things up for you. So we just put the scriptures up on the screen where you can see it. You can, you can see it there, but I would say that it's also equally important for you to see those scriptures in context. Now, what a false prophet will do is to quote scripture out of context and use that to promote false doctrines. This is what you see happen many times in charismatic churches. You hear it from prosperity preachers. They are masters at scripture manipulation. So they quote the scriptures in the same way that Satan quoted them to Jesus. They test or they twist the, the context to prop up a false system. And that's a tactic that Satan's used throughout the history of the church. And he does it and he's successful with it for this very reason. He knows scripture better than you. Now if Satan would try that on Christ, do you think he's going to have trouble with you? So if you don't know the scriptures, you're not going to be able to spot false teaching. So you start right there. Just look it up. See if what I've quoted or put on the scripture or on the screen is right. See that in the context of the entire scriptures. Next, what we're told to do is to examine the spirits. John wrote in 1 John 4, Beloved, believe not every word, but try the spirits. That is, test them whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now it's already in the world. Now in the verses here, John says, examine the spirits, and what he means by that is that person who is teaching the word of God. Don't believe them just because they have a Bible in their hand. When Jesus called the disciples, he sent them out to preach the gospel. And you can be sure at the very same time, Satan called up his preachers and sent them out to preach as well. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And lo and behold, have you seen anybody in your neighborhood going two by two? Have you seen that? The best that you can do is to meet the two by two with a four by four. And four by four beats a two by two every time. I'm not advocating violence here, but I'm saying you need to know enough of the word of God that you can wield it like a four by four against false prophets. So learn the word, study the word, test them by the word of God. And what did John say about them? He said they are antichrist. Now you think about it. What is the great error of Mormonism and of the Jehovah Witnesses? They deny the essential, peculiar deity of Jesus Christ. All false teachers in some way are in error about Jesus Christ. And that's what John says. They are anti-Christ. Number three. How do you test what you hear? Examine the gospel. What does the preacher say about the gospel? 
Paul said, if anyone comes to you with a different gospel than we preached, he said, let him be accursed. That is, let him be cut off from God. Well, what false gospel did he mean? Well, it's the false gospel that encompasses the whole world of false Christianity and of all other religions. It's anything other than salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so when you hear someone say, there are many paths to God, just coexist. Well, he's speaking a false gospel. He's on the broad path to destruction. And I'll say this to you, yes, there are many paths to God. There are many paths that lead to the great white throne judgment of God and destruction in hell. But there is only one path that leads to the emerald throne where God is worshipped forever. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so if a priest tells you, keep the sacraments. Maybe, maybe by some chance you'll be saved. If you're extremely lucky, you just might be saved. But without keeping the sacraments, there's no chance you will be. That is a false gospel. Paul says, let them be accursed. Test the gospel. Do you hear the good news? Or do you hear terrible news that lands you in hell? Is it Christ's gospel or is it Satan's lie? Test the preacher to see what gospel he preaches. Number four, when you're looking at the preacher, examine his character. What is the character of the preacher? What is his life like? Now, scandals in Christianity in the past few years have given a very, given a very serious black eye to Christians. People that don't know Christ do not know the difference between a pedophile Roman Catholic priest and a preacher who's in a local Baptist church. They just lump it all together. They're all Christians. That's what they think. And I'm sad to say, the truth is, many times there really isn't a difference. Because in some of our Baptist churches, some independent Baptist churches, some in other types of Baptist churches, there are scandals, there are cover-ups. And it's no wonder that I read just recently in a survey a few months ago that most people consider evangelical Christians as being worse than all other types of Christians. There are some seamy, shady characters in the ministry. And when we use that term, evangelical Christians, that's become such a broad category that it includes uh, charismatics and prosperity preachers, those that will steal money from you, gullible uh, steal it from gullible people with fake healing campaigns. They are sexually perverse people. So it's no wonder that the world doesn't see a difference in a perverted priest or a perverted evangelical. Now what a false teacher will do is to promote himself. He'll promote his lifestyle. He'll use the pulpit and God's people to satisfy self with greed. And eventually that just leads him into all other kinds of immorality. And so you'll find that uh, among those who are Christians, all types of immorality. Uh, when the president's spiritual advisor's been married three times and had affairs, then you know you've got a problem there. The scripture says, by their fruit you will know them. And when that fruit is very low to the ground and fall off and falls off and rots, then you know what they are. Now, it's not my, it's not my time to expand on pastoral qualifications. But I will make mention that the scriptures are very clear about the pastor and his family. I don't believe that pastors should be divorced. 
Now, I'm not saying that divorced people can't be good godly Christians because I know many that by the grace of God, they are. This is not about whether, whether you as a divorced person can be a good Christian, but I'm telling you that a pastor is under intense scrutiny. There are a hundred things that you need to check out about a pastor to see his character. What you shouldn't have to do is to check out his divorces and see who's at fault and determine if they're scriptural. A pastor shouldn't have to explain his marital status and his past wives. That doesn't do anything but turn attention to the man, put focus on that. Let's not give a reason to debate good character. Number five, what should you do to prove him? Well, examine yourself. Examine your edification. Simply put, are you growing in the faith under the teachings of the preacher? One of our good faithful members moved away a few years ago. Now he attends a church where he's not growing. He's shrinking. He fell under bad teaching, a whacked out pastor whose sermons are figments of his imagination. Do you experience the same when you come here? Have you grown? Do you understand scripture better? Now, if you've been here for a long time, you're not probably not going to grow as quickly as when you first came. There's plenty for us to learn, but the more you learn, the less you don't know. And so if your growth is to continue, if you want to continue growing as a Christian, then you, you need to take ownership of your education. You, you, you don't need me to spoon feed you everything. That's the Hebrews problems. What you, what you, probably, what you need to do is, is take what you've learned and expand on that by engaging in the study of God's word yourself and find out for yourself what the word teaches. Now while I am teaching mature Christians at times, and we have sermons that are much more difficult than the one I'm preaching today. Uh, I do have to deal with immature Christians at the same time, so I have to preach to them. So every sermon that you hear is not going to be a, an eye-dropping revelation of something that you've never heard. And so when you get good doctrine under your belt, refine your doctrine. You may not grow up as fast as you did, but you'll start to grow out. It's like when you reach middle age. I mean, you, you, you start growing out. But unlike the physical body, it's good in your spiritual life to get extra nourished on the Word of God. I started to say overnourished, but you can't get overnourished on God's Word. So physically, what do you do? Well, definitely stay off cheeseburgers. Donuts are okay. Stay off cheeseburgers. But when it comes to God's Word, spiritually, eat all that you can get. Enjoy eating it. Fill up with the fat portions of God's Word. And then I might add this about the preacher too. If he can't see his shoes, then don't take him seriously on what he preaches about your sin because he didn't get that way by attention, paying attention to the Word. So the command is in verse number 21. is about discernment. Prove what you hear. Reject the bad stuff. Then what are you to do? Hold fast to that which is good. Good in verse number 21 is kind of an interesting word. That's the Greek word kalos, and it means genuine. There, there's a genuineness to it. Uh, it was used in the evaluation of counterfeit coins. They had counterfeiters in those days too. So a person had to be sure that he didn't accept fake money. So it's like riding in the chariot up to the drive-in window, and you hand the money, and the guy at the window just holds it up to the light, puts a mark on it, and says, you know, that, that's fake. 
Well, this is what you do with the preaching of God's word with the preacher. Take what he says, hold it up to the light of God's word and see if it's true. Do that with the preacher. Hold it up to the light of the word. Reject the bad. Hold firmly to the good. Now in verse number 22, there's more instruction about preaching. And this is what we would call the deportment of the word. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, most of the time, this verse is just taken away from everything else that's said. It's used as a very broad command. And from the King James translation, uh, it appears disconnected to what comes before. Um, but it's interpreted to mean, because of that, it means just stay away from evil of every kind, anything that appears to be evil. And I'll say this first, that you won't go wrong if that's exactly what you do. There are things that are clearly evil. You shouldn't do them. So I don't have to get up here today and, and just go to battle with you on things like pornography. I don't have to talk to you about adultery. I don't need to talk to you about cursing. There are scriptures that address those things. They're very clear. You don't argue with them. Now it's a shame that in the church today we argue with things about, like, about homosexuality and about gender. Those things should be non-starters because there is no mistaking what the scripture says about them. They're just too obvious to be missed. But we run into trouble in these, in these areas that people call the gray areas. Just really don't know what to do. And we say, well, that's just, a, that's just a gray area. But some things are not as gray as people think. Just good reasoning, good thinking will help you to decide what to do in the gray areas. For example, I'm not going to sit at a bar and watch football even though I don't drink. When we go to a restaurant, my wife and I, uh, sometimes, you know, when they're not too crowded, they want to take everybody and sit them in the bar. And I say, no, we're not sitting in the bar. Just take us someplace else away from that. But I'm not going to sit in the bar and watch football. I think, you know, my water looks like vodka. And I don't want anybody to make that mistake. So I'll just say, there, there, though, when you look at this, there isn't anything inherently evil in where you sit to watch football. Unless you're watching the Raiders, maybe. That's a different thing. But... <laughs> There's nothing inherently evil in that. You know, in Kentucky, we have a multi-million dollar industry, thoroughbred racehorsing. If you come, if you go to Lexington, where I'm from, the place is just filled with beautiful, lush, green grass horse farms. And these thoroughbred racehorses cost millions of dollars. But you know, I've never been to a horse race the whole time that I was raised and living in Kentucky. And one of the most famous racetracks in the world was only three miles from my house. Why didn't I do that? Well, I didn't because of drinking and gambling and all that that goes on there. I know a preacher who was a chaplain at the racetrack. And I thought, well, that, that's kind of a strange combination. But it's the same thing. You know, I'm not going to go to a show in Vegas. Why does a Christian need to go to Vegas on vacation? I mean, what is it there that can possibly help you? This is just good thinking. Abstain from all appearance of evil. My kids were never involved in activities on Sundays. Why? Testimony. If we're not as good as the world with our standards, then what good are we to the world if the standard's not higher than theirs? Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, it's great. It's great if you heed that advice, but that's not Paul's meaning here. That's, that's good advice still. 
But this verse has to do with preaching and examination and holding on to that which is good. So when preaching is held up to the light, reject everything that is not biblical and doesn't stand the scrutiny. All such teachings are evil. That's what Paul is saying. Now I can tell you that puts pressure on the preacher to be right. To preach a lie is to preach evil. And so if you're tested and the doctrine doesn't hold up, abandon it because it's evil. And I'll also say this about, about preachers that won't change their doctrine because they're faced with the frowns of the brethren. That is to favor evil over good. There's no excuse. God doesn't accept that as an excuse any more than Paul would say, oh, it's, it's all good. Good, evil, doesn't make much difference. Doctrine does, isn't important. What's the difference? Just carry on. Oh, here is the apostle instructing the church about worship. You can't worship God with bad doctrine. So if preaching is not right, God is not glorified. We want God to be glorified in worship. So we will continue to teach the gracious, almighty, sovereign God. Because that is the truth. That is the life-changing truth. So what we have here is Paul's prescription for worship. Rejoice in everything. That's the praise and song. Pray without ceasing. That's to be always in an attitude of prayer. So that in the church we are connected with communication to God. And then don't despise prophesying. Love the preaching of God's word. Love God's word supremely. This is worship according to the New Testament. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thanking you for your word and what we've learned from it today. Lord, we want to prioritize preaching and teaching of your word in the church. And though we have delivered mostly a simple message today, one that should be easily understood by everyone here, we do know, Lord, there will be times when we have to talk about much, much more difficult things. And, of course, all of these Different subjects need to be held up to the light of your word to examine it to see if it's all true. Lord, I pray for discerning Christians. I pray that we won't have the error of the Hebrews in our midst, but rather our senses are exercised to discern both good and evil by faithful study, examination of your word. Lord, help us to do it. We thank you for these lessons that we've had on worship. And we just ask, Lord, that you would teach your church. Teach us about proper singing. What kind of songs glorify you? Uh, what is our attitude as we sing? And, and then about praying. Help us to see the importance of communicating with you and discerning your will in, in prayers that we pray in the church. Thanking you for all things, as Paul says in this text. And then, Lord, again, most of all for preaching, we want to be right with the Word of God. People are saved by truth and only by truth. And so we pray, Lord, that every message that's brought would stand the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit's work in the Word. Help us to be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ every time, all the time, as we speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, 
please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.